0: So this week's guest, Stephanie Hurst, is an LGBT icon. Her story is an inspiration to LGBT plus people around the world. She's living proof that you can achieve your dreams. It is possible. Stephanie came out publicly and talked about her gender transition in October 2014 during an interview with Stephen Nolan on BBC Radio 5 Live. She's been included in the Independent on Sunday's Rainbow List and she was one of the prominent faces of Pride in London's No Filter campaign, starring alongside Sir Ian McKellen and Graham Norton. On top of this, she's had one of the most incredible broadcasting careers and has won countless Sony Radio Awards. She's hosted the UK Commercial Radio Network Chart Show. She's hosted on Good Morning Britain on the TV. She's worked for the BBC and she's a trustee of the Radio Academy. Me and her caught up a little bit earlier on this year to talk about her life, her career and her transition. Here, Stephanie Hurst gives one of
1: the most in-depth and personal interviews she's ever given.
0: Coming up on
1: Outcast UK. This is like when I'm 12, parents would go to the pub and um, I'd be in the st- on the council day walking around the block in my mum's clothes as a 13-year-old. Lots of my relationships ended because I told them I deal with this but it always came, Graham, it always came with the caveat. It's fine. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything about it. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh no a lot about this. Several people in our village have transitioned. What? Uh, What were
0: them words like? You must have been like
1: Oh, it's like I'd won the lottery. It was like what? I was like, gosh. Outcast UK with Graham Smith. I'm gonna be honest. I've made
0: up you agreed to do this. I was really made up. Really, I was like, "Yeah, you were like," um, oh, thanks,
1: love.
0: literally top of the list of people I really wanted to speak to because so much, so much to ask. Start in the beginning because I've heard bits of this and I just want it put together because this, as a story, is is an epic story, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Where does it begin? Where does it begin?
1: It begins um, as a as a as a child. It begins with an obsession for something called radio, with an obsession about this thing that emitted music. And I was just, oh, obsessed, obsessed by it. And I couldn't get enough of it. And I've said this, I say this quite a lot now, actually. Um, I think radio is one of your first freedoms in life. It's like, it's like when you get your bike when you get your first bike and you've learned, learned to ride it and you go to the end of the street and then you get a bit brave and then you go to the next street along and the next street along, you feel like you've gone on holiday. That's one of your first freedoms. And radio, a radio getting a radio is one of your first freedoms because it's at that point you can start to make decisions about your musical tastes in life and your choices whether you were growing up, in, if you grew up, say, for instance, in the 70s or 80s, you know, you could have been listening to a diet of Demis Roussos records or something that your nan or parents were ramming down your neck and you tuned around the dial and then you hear this bloke on the radio called John Peel and you're like, huh, what's that? And, and, and whether it was drum and bass or rave or even back to the 70s, punk or even before that, you know, this guy was playing a whole variety of stuff that would never get airplay. But that allows you, or whether you would just pop, you are an out-and-out out Kylie fan. And that's what you liked. But your parents didn't. You could make your musical choices. And you had your favourite DJs. And used to sit and used to record the chart show on a Sunday and all those kind of things. Radio is, a fir- is one of your first freedoms. And I fell in love with this thing because I that thing was escapism from this confusion that was in my head. There was a there was this finagle of confusion. And I couldn't work out why I felt different. I just did. And I think the kids at school worked out that I was different before I'd worked it out myself. Kids are fuckers like that, aren't oh, they? Massive. Um,
0: yeah. The way they pick it and stuff. You don't even know yourself, do yeah.
1: you? No, you don't. I was at school, preschool even. This is t- three, four years old. And they would say, all the girls go to that side of the classroom. All the boys go to that side of the classroom. And I'd go and sit with the girls. By the way, if you're listening to this, the penny might have just dropped. So I'd go and sit with the girls and be like, no, get back over here. You're a boy. Stay there. A couple of weeks later, now we're going to play that game again. All the girls go over there. All the boys go over there. Mm. Come back over here, there, because that was my automatic default. It was my natural state of comfortableness to go and sit with the girls. Because in my head, I was, I didn't, I didn't know difference between boys and girls. I just did what I felt felt comfortable to me. Yeah, because my brain formed opposite to the way I came out my soul formed as as female and i you know as a child you've you've not got the vocabulary to be able to deal with to 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 verbalize it have you at all yeah it's just just, you you just you just do what you do because that's what you know children are not born they're not born bigots that's that's taught behavior yeah so all of the things we're taught and we learn and we go to school and our parents, teach us. that's all part of, of becoming, you know, an adult, a functioning adult in, this, in the world. Um, so I, I knew that at school that, that something, I was, I was different. And I used to daydream a lot. I mean, I was a, even during secondary school and I was the kid that spotted the stray dog in the playground five minutes before everyone else had because I was looking out the window daydreaming about being on the radio. I just was, I just zoned out. It, they couldn't connect with me. I was in an, I was on, I was on the planet, thinking about how I'm gonna get out of here and go and play some records somewhere. So that. Was, so where
0: was where was here? You you grew up in in Barnsley, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Barnsley in the north of England, and on a on a working class post war council estate. Uh, My parents, Joyce and Derek, um, worked really hard. My mum was a housewife and my dad fixed TVs for a living or installed TVs and also was in a band as a singer and a guitarist and um, grafted and and tried to earn every penny they possibly could to give their their new child the best start in life. My mum said many times that, you know, I went without to give you I had holes in my shoes, but as long as you had Clark's shoes, and we took you to the shoe shop to have your shoes measured, to to took you to the shoe shop to have your feet measured, so you your feet didn't grow wonky or anything like that. I went without to give you. I did everything I possibly could. So
0: this, so this is the this is 1980s Barnes. Yeah, it? 80s just Barnes, to build a picture.
1: Yeah. yeah, working class. You know some of the. If anyone's listening to this around the world, um, you may have seen a film with the actor Ewan McGregor in called Brastoff. Kind of that area. We didn't have a pit, but that village, Grimley, the fictitious town of Grimley, um, is actually called Grimethorpe. And that is where my mum was from. She was from Grimethorpe. Um, my dad was from a place called Longwood, which was a couple of villages ahead. And then a few villages ahead of that was Othersley, where I was, raised and um i wouldn't change it for the world ground i really wouldn't the beatings from the bullies all of that kind of stuff you wouldn't change the beatings from the bullies what makes you say that well i think because that made me tough but i can't blame the bullies i can i can apportion 50 percent of the blame of to the bullies for kicking my head in for being spindly effeminate and different of course i can but the other 50%, I must take responsibility because that was my gob. <laughs> that was me gobbing off on the street, immediately running through my mum and dad's front door, running upstairs into their bedroom, opening up the bedroom window and going, you can't get me. They did next time they saw me on the street. <laughs> so so some of it, you know, I can't I can't blame all of the bullies. I did some of the gobbing off myself because what would I do for a living? Sit behind this thing. Well, exactly, yeah. Talking. <laughs> Do you think, like, you get this with there's a, there's a
0: lot of LGBT people in radio and a lot of the things that you said there, they sound quite familiar to me. <laughs> <laughs> do you think we some, some of us do this because there's something in childhood where we just need to go, do you know what, fuck you. <laughs> there's a bit of that going on. Because I feel like that was happening with me personally. Really? When it comes to, yeah, when it comes to, like, being bullied and experiences at school, not as not to the same extent as you there, but there's definitely a bit of yeah. I really like this. This is my way out of whatever life that you people want me to have. Yeah, and I'm going to follow this. And it almost like radio it was the engine oh, to get out of the situation totally. I was in.
1: Totally was the engine. I was banging on the door of my local radio station, which was called Radio Radio Air. Air Radio Air in Leeds. And um, oh, I was obsessed with this thing. I still got one of my pencil cases from school and it's just got Radio Air logos and DJ names written all over it. Just obsessed by it. Obsessed. Every sticker, every DJ photo card, everything. And I was just ringing the radio station phone number, Fordable5362. literally. Remember the number? Oh, I love oh, that. Even the area right. code, 0532, 45362 Literally. I
0: remember rock FMs and cities yeah, from when I was a do, kid. You just you remember do. the number, don't He's you?
1: ingrained. <laughs> I can't remember any other phone numbers, No, but that one is stuck in my head. And I um, oh, just rang them. And eventually I said to them, can I come in and look around? And I think they got so tired of me. I was like, um, can I come in? And they was like, yeah, come in. And I never left. <laughs>
0: so I used Did you what did you do? You just stayed on like answering the phones, answer. all the things you do, and then moved up.
1: Yeah, essentially, yeah. I so back in the day, um, they'd play vinyl, which is obviously huge again now, but they'd play vinyl, and I would put the records away, make tea for the DJs, all of that kind of stuff, uh, and just generally be a dog's body. There was lots of us. Chris Miles was one of them as well. Who's a, Chris is a year older than me, but we met at Radio Air when we were teenagers, when we were kids. Um, so we were just, we were lucky to get in. It's, it's, it's different now. These were full service radio stations and there was lots to do. So the DJs, because they were superstars and they had their Ford Escort XR3Is with their name written downside the side. Branded. Yeah. Branded cars. Uh, they were off to their next engagement. Yeah. So, uh, so it was left to us lot to, um, to mop up their mess which was brilliant because it got us. We'd do anything. We'd do anything for any DJ. They asked us to do it. We'd do it. Didn't care because you were learning. And this this thing, and I think it's interesting when I look at my life and I look at how things have panned out for me. I think, and this may be, you know, with you as well, anyone that goes through a personal struggle, they need something, <coughs> excuse me, they need something which is a, a, an escapism and yeah. it becomes an obsession because that, that fills that void, doesn't it? It, it makes you think Absolutely. about something else. And I think that's for us why radio in particular was the thing that that made our fears and worries go away.
0: And also, I mean, yeah, a way out of the the other bits of life that weren't great. I just remember from my own perspective. I remember sitting in a radio studio and going, "Oh, I've got some power for the first time." It wasn't that's not the only reason I wanted to do it, but I remember thinking, oh, "I'm being listened to. People are listening to what I'm saying and being taken seriously-ish." And <laughs> yeah, serious-ish, <laughs> ish. Um. So tell me, like, so you were at school there, and you like so very early on, some of the kids, sort of the way kids do, jump to their conclusions. It turns out they were right. Yeah, they were right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how did how did things move on from there um like talk to me about say adolescence maybe like your early teenage years when i imagine the penny would start to drop big time around about that point yeah i'm imagining it was um yeah
1: yeah that was difficult cuz you've got all the girls who are obviously starting to to change yeah and that really should have been catching my eye, going, "Oh, she's attractive." Hello. No, I was like, "Yours are going, am I not?" What? What?
0: Did you feel like that? Were you were like, oh, Was massively. there a little bit of jealousy?
1: Oh, hugely. Um, there's a photograph. Just going back to Radio and Radio Air. There's a photograph of me. I'm about thirteen, and I'm stood behind one of the DJs, a guy called Duncan Larkin. Um incredible broadcaster, bilingual, uh, worked on the national radio station in Vienna for many years and we sadly lost him a few years ago. And I'm stood behind Duncan and I'm leaning over and my t-shirt. The way it's kind of hanging off me looks like there's some form of breast growth. And I remember getting that when you went to photo processing or whatever. You got your photographs you'd taken and you'd look at them all like you found like your photos from holiday there'd always be a sticker on saying the the um something was wrong it was all blurred or whatever yeah, I, remember <laughs> you remember that? That. Yeah. I used to get a little sticker on it or yeah. something saying that the um was it aperture? quality control max yeah, spielman quality control so you'd sit outside your max spielman or whatever and i remember sitting there looking at these photos when i was about 13 i'd gone to have them processed and this photo and I can still look at it now, and it still makes me emotional. Because, you know, I, I rubbed my finger over that part of the t-shirt because it looked like my breasts were growing, and they weren't. But all the other, all the other girls at school were developing, so that was that was tough. So what did I do? Made more jingles and shows in my bedroom.
0: So you just yeah. when when things got threw tough, myself, threw yourself into radio,
1: to the studio, threw, always. Always things get tough, studio. Every time. It's my escape. And I can't I can't help it. And that's a that's that's some form of default setting. And I think that goes for all of us. You know, when we're in we're in despair, you know, we go to a default. For some people that's drugs, alcohol, other vices. Whereas for me it was it was the radio studio. And that out that helped me create. Um, interesting. There's a, there's a there was a broadcaster. We lost him to HIV, AIDS in the eight, uh, 1990s, Called Kenny Everett. And um, Kenny was married, and but then in the in the, I think in late eighties was forced out by the press. And I love the his coming out stories. Incredible, Kenny's. Uh, I don't
0: know this. You know, I don't know Kenny's. Kenny's coming out story.
1: Kenny was the most innovative and creative radio broadcaster, I would say, ever. There was one. One Kenny Everett. He was a big star on television. Huge star on television as well. But um, (laughs) he stood on the steps of his house, opened his door with his two boyfriends, and went, darlings, darlings, two boyfriends are better than one. And the press didn't know what to do with it. They just no. they just did not know what to do with it. Two boyfriends are better than one. God love you, Kenny. But as soon as Kenny came out, his radio work. I, as a Kenny Everett fan, think changed. Still How did had it change? Still had the magic. The magic was still there. But he he wasn't in turmoil anymore. And I can relate to that because do I come into the studio as much anymore? Do I make as much stuff anymore? I do, but I don't have those anguish times in my head because the gender dysphoria that I was feeling isn't there and it's gone. So, yeah, I still i have an idea. I come in and make it. The ideas have not yeah. gone, but that turmoil, that pain, that anguish that you feel... The only way to get rid of it was to obsess about the radio studio and coming in. And that's what Kenny did. And listening to Kenny's work after he came out, how magic is it? It's there. Oh, my gosh. It could never go away. But it wasn't to the extent that it was while really? he was in pain. But personally, I think that personally. Yeah.
0: No, no, it makes, it does make sense. See, from my perspective, I know more about Kenny Everett from the reruns on TV Yeah. many years later and the best, best taste. possible taste. That character, that my
1: character. So funny. Which is that Cupid, G- Cupid stunt. Cupid stunt. That was it. And they that printed it. that in the Radio Times. Amazing. <laughs> Cupid stunt. Genius.
0: My dad was a huge fan of that. I always remember that. My dad was a huge fan of Kenny Everett. Kenny Everett was a was scouser as well, so obviously that was yeah. a He's a big figure um, in my childhood. My mum and dad used to mention him all the time. He, Amazing. Uh, just, just, he lived in just, the area close to the us. Reason
1: I'm, the reason I'm, I I'm mention Kenny as well, because I don't want him to... Yeah. I'm I'm scared that he's going to get forgotten. I,
0: yeah, I get that. I get that. And as time moves on, there is that risk. But I'd hope not, because, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Kenny Everett changed a lot of stuff, didn't he? And he introduced a lot of the British public to a lot of concepts. He
1: did, and I think that... I think just for what he did for LGBT people as well. Yeah. I think that really made a a massive difference. And I don't think he's given enough credit. So um,
0: you're pushing yourself there into into a radio studio. There's a young teenager. I'm guessing around this time, this is between the ages, and I'm going to guess 13 and 16. Yeah, yeah. Push yourself into that radio studio. Get yourself where you want to be. So you got there and you got really good. And I remember um, when I was starting out, as I'm, I'm not that much younger than you, but I'm a few years younger than you. I remember looking um the Hallam FM website in the late 90s and you were on there and it was like, you sat on the toilet. Do you remember the picture? Of course oh, you gosh, the picture yeah, the toilet on the one. Yeah. Like, that was a sexy picture, that. I was remember it? seeing that and being like... Yeah.
1: Um In essence, a character that you were playing. I guess, really, yeah. There's, There's... What's funny, Graham, is that the more I how long has it been? It's been almost a decade in some respects. I'll give a couple of years since my outing, and we'll come to how I did it. No doubt. Um. But the further away I get from, well, it's still only my old name. I'm still the same person. Still got the same values. But mm-hmm. that almost a character. Character. Sure that I created mm-hmm. the Hursty character. If just, when I did first transition, it, it, I was too. It, it all just happened, but now I've got some distance from it. I look back and go, gosh, like the shot of me on the toilet. There's another one of me in the bath. I was just trying to do different things with photos. Yeah, I think I'm reading the newspaper on the on the toilet. Aren't yeah, I? yeah, you were reading the newspaper with yeah. a fag in my hand. Yeah, it was very, very of the time. It was very, very 90s. 90s. Yeah, it was very I think I was going like, for that kind of, yeah. you know, loaded shoot, that kind of gritty 90s thing. I've never discussed this photo. It was my friend David Massey that took them.
0: Great photos, yeah, they, were, were they, they made me think,
1: they, they made you think all the right
0: things for what you were trying to portray at the time, and, and we ended up working with each other for a good few years. I say with each other, we were on opposite ends of the schedule, but we, we worked for the same radio station. And
1: um, But I saw you a lot.
0: Well, yeah, we saw each other a lot, lot. Of meetings, we'd always mm. chat, and yeah, we, we had lots of respect for each other, those Thursday meetings. When you look, when I look back at some of the pictures of them now, mm. and there's some, some some of the people I'm just like, oh my god we were all in the same room at and the same our, time
1: and our dearly departed friend Donks who we've just lost
0: yeah yeah things like that when you look at them pictures god I suppose guys. what I'm trying to say to you here is that I was in awe <laughs> sure I was in awe and if I'm honest I was how old was I then about nineteen really nervous why you were a <laughs> larger-than-life character surrounded by two other larger-than-life characters. And now the older I get, the more I see that you were almost like a, jo- a jobbing, very good actor, I guess, at that point. It was a, for anyone that didn't hear it, it was a bloody great show. And it, it, it just by listening to it taught me a lot. Being around it I, taught me a lot. I
1: preferred Graham's Daily Dollop. <laughs> I forgot about that. I covered
0: the the show, didn't I? Yeah, so the show Daily was dollop.
1: the show was called Hurstys Daily Dollop. <laughs> And, yeah, when we were off, you were our cover because we yeah. thought you were the best. I've always believed. I've always... <gasps> I was shitting
0: myself when I got asked to do that. I was so scared, so scared. Well, I've always been Trying believed. so hard.
1: You were brilliant, and I've always believed. This goes back Thank to you. when I covered The Breakfast Show on Um, which was my what love. You
0: covering for Daryl Denham or something like that. I was like covering that.
1: for Daryl, and I love yeah. Daryl dearly. Yeah. Um but I I wasn't allowed to do it anymore after I'd done it once. Why?
0: Because you were very, very, very good.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the people that did get to cover it um, weren't a threat. And I mean that with the kindest heart. Yeah, yeah. With the yeah, kindest yeah. heart. <laughs> I didn't realise that at the time. I was miffed at the time. Yeah, you were pissed it's only, off about it, yeah. yeah, I was like... Because that... Daryl's show... Was the show I based my breakfast show on? That was the Templar. I've told Daryl this, but it was the really temp- yeah Bar- Daryl Denham's breakfast show on Hallam FM in the late. What was it 90s. called that breakfast show? It was just I called Daryl Denham. Darryl Denham.
0: Darryl he Denham did. The, he did. He had another show he called. They called it the Oh Unshaving yes, Haven. he used to do an That's ex- so naughty. Yeah, he
1: did a uh, he did an X-rated breakfast show late at night. Um which was called The
0: first time I've ever heard fisting and water sports <laughs> said in a,
1: <laughs> at ten o'clock at night on Radio City. I was like, what the f- He played um, I remember on his first show and it was networked across a whole network E-map. of station, yeah. And I remember um <laughs> I remember him playing the last song on, I think it was the Unshaven Haven, which was the name for the X-Ray to Breakfast Show because it was on the network. So it couldn't be the X-Ray to Breakfast Show because he wasn't the breakfast DJ on these other stations. And he played Uncle Fucker from South Park, the musical. And it ends with the words, suck my balls. It's
0: 1998, this, isn't it? And yeah, it's FM radio. 99.
1: Yeah. And the guy in Newcastle, an incredible broadcaster called Alan Robson, who's done this show since 1975 or 76 in the novel. Still North. on? Still, Is he still on? he just yeah, he does, still really on? does stuff right. on the Greatest Hits Network. And you just get the end of it. I won't say again what it said. And then you get this gap. And Alan comes on in his northeast accent <clears throat> and goes, "I don't really know what to make of all that." <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call us tonight, Alice, please do. Oh, <coughs> <own. laughs> five, whatever it is. I was like, <laughs> "Oh my gosh!" I think there's a recording of it
0: somewhere. I remember vividly one specific thing, and it was um, to Ricky Mark the tune of "Livin' La Vida Loca," and I'm sure it was about Michael Portillo. <laughs> and it was
1: so edgy. There's Some of the stuff Darryl, that was, I didn't understand Darryl it. Daryl broke the mould in, in late 90s radio. Really groundbreaking. And he ended up on
0: Virgin and... Yeah. Just... Stuff. Yeah. A massively. He went on to do other stuff.
1: One of the hardest working people in radio. But I wasn't allowed to do his breakfast show anymore. And the point I'm making here is the fact that... I was like, but surely you want your replacement when you're off to be good because... They may go somewhere else if it's if it's just playing songs and not really doing yeah. much. They might go looking for some entertainment. Well, you don't want people to tune out of the radio station. And I always thought this, so I always wanted the best person for the job. The next best thing to us was you. I <laughs> so you well, were. Well, I'm wrong. flattered by that. So that, that I was
0: very young and very terrified by that. You're as brilliant. Well. I was really scared. I've I got a friend of mine called Kev used to read your news. Kev Obviously, wow. you know that. Kev. Who, well, um, let's move towards like, like the mid to late 90s. Uh, you're on, I think you're on Hallam FM at that point. You're moving on to Viking FM. And Hirsty is the hottest presenter, one of, on UK commercial radio. Your personality, I guess, was crafted to keep the listeners happy more than you?
1: Yeah, I'd kind of i kinda, kinda learned that I got I got bored playing records on the radio. I think as soon as I'd learnt the craft through obsession of getting from one record saying something moderately amusing or maybe talking about an event that we've got coming up on the station. We're giving away a tenor and a colour telly, blah blah blah. Listen to breakfast tomorrow morning. Here's Ricky Martin, clunk. I got bored with doing that. I thought, there's more to this and I need to do more. So getting to do that week of breakfast on Daryl's show, that showed me, I was like, ooh, breakfast show sounds fun. And then Daryl left and I didn't get the breakfast show at Hallam. Well, I was told actually that I wasn't going to get it. And that broke my heart because I seemed a natural successor. But me and the guy that was running the station... We weren't getting on. We're really good friends now. Really, really, really good friends, which I adore. And I love the guy because he was finding his feet in management. I was young, rebellious DJ wanting to make a name for myself. So we both wanted to make a name for ourselves in different ways and just clashing immensely. And um, yeah, I didn't get the breakfast show. So I was like, right, I want a breakfast show. And I just worked at another station in between um, Radio Air and Hallam, which was the Pulse, the station in West Yorkshire, which is called Pulse One now. And I did the evening show on there during Britpop and adored it. I think actually people ask me what's my favourite show ever to have done. It's that. We look back historically now, you know, our parents talk about how amazing the 60s were. We talk about how amazing the 90s were.
0: The 90s, yeah. Bang,
1: Britpop. I was playing Oasis. I remember when What's the Story Morning Glory album arrived that very day and I played She's a Scale Electric. I always call it that. She's electric from it and Champagne Supernova. I remember playing them the very day we got the promo disc of it and all of that and the Spice Girls arriving, the Spice Girls coming into the show and all of this. Yeah, all of this happened during this evening show. Anyway, it just so happened that they were looking for a new breakfast show when I was, you know, a little bit unhappy at Hallam. So I got the breakfast show at The Pulse and I did that for a year. And then my friends who worked at Viking FM in Hull, and they were called Jason, uh, J.K. and Joel. And they were leaving to go to a station in Manchester, big station in Manchester called Key 103, which is now called Hits Radio, who I now work for. Anyway, they were leaving. So they put me a good word in, said, "Hursty, be brilliant. Get them on. And yes, yeah, so I left the pool, and so I went to Viking. And we won a Sony radio award for it. And, and then from there, because we made such an impact in East Yorkshire, because Yorkshire in the UK is the biggest county.
0: It's huge. It's, it's huge. the size people don't realize. It's the size of like a country. Yeah, it sounds like huge. Wales or something. It's isn't huge.
1: It? And um, so the biggest station was called Galaxy because it was regional across the whole of Yorkshire, and it was the biggest commercial radio station outside London. And they happened to be looking for a new breakfast show, and I got the call. So the career is going stratospheric. Whereas my gender dysphoria is eating me alive. So
0: point. how are you feeling at that point? So obviously you've got the, the radio DJ ego. Hursty is flying. The career is looking amazing. It looks like the sky is the limit, really. Sony radio awards and everything. But how were you how were you feeling when, you know, at the end of the day, you finish your breakfast, you go mid-afternoon. Let's talk about that mid-afternoon bit when you go home, you've been at work, you are knackered. You've got all afternoon to yourself to do how are you feeling at that point when you shut the front door?
1: Um some days, just exhausted and tired from getting up at four thirty, five o'clock in the morning.
0: It does do that. It just breaks you. It's not for it's not for some people. It wasn't for me.
1: If you've ever had jet lag, it's permanent, permanent. jet lag. Yeah. And you never find your groove with it. And then you go to work, you have to give your all. I ain't complaining. It's the best job in the world. Mm-hmm. But then by 10 o'clock, you're like, I've just spoken for I four could... hours. Yeah. I've given my all. And then you you get some people that are fresh in at nine o'clock in the morning. 10 o'clock, let's have a meeting. I'm like, <laughs> I can't even function. I've been up since 4.30. Yeah. It's now 10 a.m. I've spoken for four hours. I, I just can't even do this
0: you're not even just speaking to yourself people might not realize it's not just you in a room going here's something funny it's you and I've seen the setup it was the it was the original radio team it was you at the center of it uh, a producer who's usually a very good producer you had a number of them and they were all very good and um, two other people and they were both very big personalities as well and you're at the center of this sort of and I I, I get that that can be draining I find that draining when I have to do that. Sometimes you're doing that all the time, mm. and you've got this huge question in your head, this unfulfilled need. This you feel, I don't know, you're feeling like the real you isn't allowed to exist,
1: but she was. And I had a whole wardrobe at home with locks on, and when the dysphoria got so bad, I would just come home and get changed. I just felt better.
0: And be someone else.
1: Not someone else.
0: Or be you. Just be me. I shouldn't have said someone else. It being you, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Actually, let me... Because you've got previous, because that's how I like to refer this to people that have known me a long time. It's like you're some form of criminal for knowing me this long. You've got previous. You know me. You'll... There'll be certain things I do. I might roll my eyes in a certain way. I look different, but I might roll my eyes in a certain way. There'll be something I do where you can still see that person. Or is that not? Do do you see me as two different people? And I wouldn't be offended either way. I'm not. No, I, I was thinking this myself.
0: You make so much more sense now. You make so much more sense now.
1: I think yeah, people have said that you're not alone saying that.
0: You you really do like I I I prefer you 110 percent more like this. Oh. I feel like I can tell that you're more comfortable with yourself. I I obviously didn't understand what was going on when I was young. I mean, you never know what's going on in people's lives, dear. You?
1: No, you, you never don't. know what's going on in people's lives. You don't, and everyone used to say to me they thought they thought there was something different about me.
0: The generally. Yeah, yeah, the thought... Yeah, I think I did. I think looking back, I thought... I I, I think I presumed that you might be gay, but that wasn't a possibility for you. Um, And that wasn't the case, but, you know, I was maybe moving in the right direction with that. I think you... Yeah, you you
1: weren't alone in thinking that. A lot of people thought that. Um, But I was... My escapism was coming home. I mean, when my dysphoria was really bad when i was 17 18 oh, i was i went to my gp and um i'd just passed my driving test did you test. say i just passed my driving test in my Vauxhall nova which i still have we'll go. still yeah. got it and um i went to my gp told him what i felt like and his words were something along the lines of it was like i strongly recommend you don't take this path in life those were definitely the words and I think he said something along the lines of "You'll lose family, friends. You won't have a great career. You, it's just not going to go well." And spoke, that da- and spoke down to me. I sat. I got back outside. Went in the car and cried my eyes out. And yes. it was at that point. It was at that point where I really threw myself into radio. I really threw myself in, like to obsession. You look up the word obsession in the dictionary, there's a picture of me, age 17, smiling at you. Um, Oh, just heartbroken. You know, it was, there was a lady called Caroline Cossey who was a Bond model and uh, she was a model, a Bond girl and all sorts of stuff. And she was outed by the press in the, in the early 80s. And uh, she'd written a book. And when I was around 15, this book was coming out, 14, 15, and I'd fallen asleep on the sofa. And I woke up, it must have been school holidays or I must have been off sick or something. And uh, a broadcaster called Gloria Honeyford was interviewing her one afternoon on BBC One or BBC Two. And I woke up and this lady's talking about a childhood and how she felt. And she started to describe how I felt as a child. So it quickly dawned on me that, I think she shows a picture, she went, oh, well, this is how you looked as a little boy. And I went, huh? and I got up, I grabbed tape seven from our video library when people used to have VHSs or Betamax, used to label them all and put them in fake bookcases There's little bookcases yeah. with the little cover on. Yeah. and um i grabbed tape seven stuck it in the tape machine and recorded it and then hid the tape under my bed that was my google so i knew at this point when i was crying my eyes out in my voxel nova i knew someone had done this i knew there was someone else and then I found out about another lady called April Ashley, who she transitioned in like the 1950s or something. And I was like, it's got to be a way. But you, there's no internet. There's no Google. There's nothing. You you can't. You, you, how do you find information out how about growing? How did you find growing? information other than that? Yeah. I don't know. How do you find information out about growing a pair of tits? You,
0: Literally just the internet, isn't just it? Just the internet. But you've gone to your GP. GP's gone. No, no. this isn't happening. This is not. So you just internalised the whole thing. Yeah, totally. Then, by the sounds of it,
1: you can't do anything. Or you. My parents used to go to the pub. This is like when I'm 12. Parents would go to the pub, and um, I'd be in the council st- on the council estate, walking around the block in my mum's clothes as a 13-year-old. So Did anyone see? No, no, I, I got away with it. I've, I, I, honestly, Graham, I've got no idea. No idea how I got away with it, genuinely. So I just internalized everything and threw myself into radio. And I'd failed relationships and threw myself into DJing, performing live. I'd, I'd crowd surf because I wasn't scared of dying. I was quite happy if, if it would happen because it would make it go away. Yeah. So I would throw my crowd surf off DJ stands. I've been to the chiropractor today actually because my shoulder you- is playing up, and I think it's an old crowd surfing injury <laughs> <laughs> from being eighteen or nineteen, chucking myself off <laughs> DJ stands. Oh. So yeah, don't 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 crowd surf, kids. You no. fall off. It's alright oh, when you've had a load of when you've mischief. had a creative Budweiser, but it's when you wake up the next day you can't move the right hand side of my body. What was I doing Do last you know, night? <laughs> I,
0: I remember this was a few years ago. Um, we were—I oh, was going through a really mad time, actually, if I'm honest at that point. But that's for another time. Um, and we were stood at a bar in the on the northern quarter in Manchester, and there was a few radio people out, and you were talking to—I will mention no names. You'll know what I mean an ex of yours that ended up with a friend of yours. When you split with this person in the late nineties, you considered at that point, maybe this is the time to make the, make the change.
1: Yeah. I was, and then not. That relationship came to an end because I'd confided. I was having a really tough time. It's interesting. It, it,
0: you confided. You, you, you told her.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we are right. really, we are really good, close friends. Now, friends. Yeah. Amazingly yeah. close friends. Um. But, at, you know, at that time, it, it there was less known about her. Yeah. You know, lots of my relationships ended because I told them, I deal with really? this. But it always came, Graeme, it always came with a caveat. It's fine. What I'm not that? gonna. I'm not gonna do anything about it. Don't worry. Right. I'm not gonna.
0: I'm how did the relationships progress beyond that point? It just started? didn't
1: go any further. Apart no. from the long term, I had a long term relationship with someone for 13 years. Wow. And I have a lot of regret with that relationship. A what lot. About?
0: Was this? If you don't mind me asking, was this male or female? Female. You a relationship, right? What it feels the, it feels
1: weird saying I had relationships with 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 women now because I'm attracted to, to, to guys. Although I do, I do, you know, if I fell in love with a woman, I fall in love with a woman. You fall in love with the yeah. soul of a person. Yeah, exactly. Not, not the gender. Yeah. Um, but I like the the arms and caress of a man. Makes you feel safe. And um. Yeah, you can't chuck him around in bedroom as much though. <laughs> you can edit that out, or not. Um. Yeah, I've got a lot of regret with that relationship
0: because. Yeah, what what type of regret in that one? Because it lasted a long time. but thirteen it years was, is a long time. It
1: was. I've I have. Regret and guilt. Right the fact that I regret treating them the way I treat them.
0: How did you treat them in a way that you think is not good?
1: Appallingly cheating because I was trying to find, I was dealing with the dysphoria was getting at me and I needed, I needed something to make it go away and I needed something to distract me. And it would, an affair. I've had a drink. It seems like a good idea. Okay. So it was all of that, all it, all of the failings of my relationships and all of the things I did are to do with this. And it comes, well, I think it is personally. Mm-hmm. It's it's because I was running away from something and I was trying to find something to, to make that go Sense away or me. something or yeah. it was escapism. It was just pure escapism, but I, I broke that person's heart and I, I on numerous occasions and I, I just have, lots of guilt with it. It doesn't keep me awake at night. It doesn't. But I just go, that was, that was shit. That was really wrong. How could you do that to another person? How could you hurt someone who has got the kindest heart, who would do anything for you, who would literally walk over hot coals and broken glass for you? Genuinely, the most kindest hearted person. You just would so fortunate to have them coming and blessed into your life. Why would you treat them like that? And that's that's the stuff that that I feel upset about, mm-hmm. and I just feel bad about. I feel like it was wrong. So, you know, chances are they're probably not going to listen. They'll never stumble. Who knows? They might. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I really am sorry. I just I just feel awful. It doesn't keep me awake at night, but you know when oh. you've We've all gotten regret. We've all done stuff wrong. And I just go, that was, that that person didn't deserve that at all. And I'm really sorry about it. I just, but I want, you know, the reasons why is because I was, I was in pain. I was in pain. Yeah. But that shouldn't make me, that doesn't give you license to cause other people pain at all. Under no circumstances. So, So, yeah, so there was, yeah, there was, I upset some people in my life through the pain I was going through internally. And, you know, that happens with lots of people who, who are having painful, you know, moments in their life internally.
0: Couldn't agree more.
1: Manifests itself in lots of different ways, doesn't it?
0: You hit so many people when you're in pain yourself. You, do. you just do it to distract. Yeah. Massively. So let's move through that's that explains for me early career. Smashing it at the top of commercial radio. Um and then we get to sort of the point at which without mentioning lots of specifics about companies and stuff, because one of them companies might as well pay me.
1: No, uh, do you know what? I mean, the <laughs> career was incredible. You know, yeah. I the chart show, for instance, did, ended up doing the national top 40 on a Sunday to 8 million people. It was your
0: dream. It was your dream. I, and that was so, it was made for you, that gig. That but was made know what? for you. I remember being so proud of you when you got it.
1: But I can't lie by saying that when I got it, there was a moment I thought, I'm even more trapped. Why? Well, I couldn't do anything. I I'm trapped. I'm not the person I, I was I should be. I'm not myself. The gender dysphoria is is sky high. I've just been landed the biggest chart show in the country. Um the
0: of, Dr. Fox chart show. It yeah, that it. yeah, yeah replaced, you took over from
1: Foxy. Yeah. Me and Katie Hill. Katie did it for about a year and a half, something like that. Gosh, I and love then it the was just of that woman. She's amazing. You still friends? Yeah, massive friends, love it to bits. And um, and then I did about another year and a half, two years on my own afterwards. And um, yeah, I I remember feeling incredibly trapped, but I alpha mailed it up, unbelievably just.
0: This is why I, when I hear you say these things about these times, I, I, I suppose maybe more than other people, have seen it from the other side as a not just a listener or a punter, but as a colleague, a colleague that looked up to you and was like, "Wow, how is Hirsty so confident? How I remember going to a gig once and you guys were, then people loved you." When we were in there, and you were working as a team, and you're really funny, and you were stood on a table, going, "No, oh, it's what well, I can't remember what you're doing." <laughs> stood on a table happened though, and I was like, "The confidence out of these people, and that alpha male in it, out of the situation." Well, and what we know now is that you were acting a character, and you were giving the people what they wanted. But I saw that, and I was like, "This person's confidence is rock solid. This is this is everything I would love to be, and I I want." And you were. You weren't happy and that it was a surprise for me to hear that.
1: I I wouldn't want any of our old listeners to our show to think that what they got every morning was something false. There was only I would never say it was false. There was I would only never one say it was thing, false. It was very real. There was only one thing I never told you. It was that. Although to be honest, I pretty much did say it without saying it. When? Well, I was talking about going for facials all the time. I think it said, uh, A man, uh, a woman trapped in a man's body as one of the jingles. On the jingles. One of the it, jingles. Did. it did. It did. It did. It did. All a woman it... trapped in yeah. a man's body. Peter Dixon yeah. voiceover guy from The X Factor. I can't believe that. I just, I said it. I, I, it was plain sight.
0: It sounds like, it just sounds like a gag.
1: <laughs> it does. <But> it, <laughs> it wasn't. no. <laughs> It wasn't. (laughs) I was saying it to everyone. So the signs, the clues were there. The clues were there. And I'm trapped in this world. And I have to get off. And I went out for lunch with a really close dear friend of mine called Kate. And we went to all bar one in Millennium Square in Leeds. I know it well. Circa 2011-ish. And in my deepest despair when I was 17 and that GP and everything, Mm -hmm. um, I was at college doing a BTEC media course. And Kate was doing a journalism course. And we hit it off. She's became really good friends. Nothing like that, but we became Mm -hmm. just good friends. And I confided in her. I remember one we went wig shopping in Sheffield once. We <laughs> didn't find anything, but uh, she was she was helping me. Anyway, we're sitting in all bar one, and it happens to come up in conversation that you know she's she thought you know about this. How am I doing with it? And I just said to her, "I want to die. I I can't do it anymore. I just can't." I drive home every single day and think about turning my car into the Central Reservation, which I had done for years. For years. And thought about taking my life in so many different ways, constantly, because it's the only way I could get out of it. You know, I'm trapped, there's six figures plus coming in salary wise. There's an Aston Martin sat on the drive. There's Joe Malone candles and Malton Brown and Wash, you name it. Fortnum and Mason Hampers. Everything's lovely. But that's material. Means nothing. Means yeah. nothing. Yeah. Money, of course, is important. And you know, you got you gotta heat your house. You got electric and you've gotta eat and all sorts of stuff. But all of that stuff. It's as long as you know, as long as I can pay the bills, it's all right. And I was just trapped, so the only way to stop it was to press stop. And also, I'm on the air every day doing a breakfast show, so I'm getting all of the daily newspapers. As you remember, in that studio, we, you'd probably read them during the show as well. They were all piled up in the studio.
0: Yeah. So you I will drew on them from. What I remember. Yeah, there was we used to post-it notes.
1: Used to be post-it notes in the top where we'd. we'd Marked them all up of the, great, of the best stories. And um, I do apologise if I'm bunged up my ear fevers playing up something rotten. And um, I would look through the newspapers and there'd be stories about someone who'd transitioned with a really bad side profile photo. Headlines, something like gender bending freak, sex change Charlie, all of this stuff. How the British media were allowed to do that and what they've done to... Be, oof, that's another conversation entirely.
0: Looking at some of the coverage on this issue, on a lot of the issues we've talked about on this, if you look at some of the newspaper headlines from the last 30 years, they knock you sick. It will knock it's you outrageous. sick.
1: outrageous. It's outrageous. How does people sleep at night in their beds? I've got no idea what they've done to people. But I would see all of that, and that would just... I'd be on the air. I'd be flicking through the newspapers. There'd be a minute and a half left on the song and I'd see a headline like that. I'd be in bits. And then I've got to make people laugh. So Kate says to me, go and see your GP. Go and see your GP. I'm like, I can't. I went to see them years ago. It's it's pointless. I can't do anything about it. I can't. I just, I'm, I'm trapped. And she begged me and I did. So on my way home, I went to my local GP surgery. I made an appointment and I sent her a screen grab, took a photo of the said appointment, which was like two weeks later at half four in the afternoon. So I arrived for the appointment half hour early. Now, bear in mind, I've been up 11 and a half hours at this point. I'm like, I'm flagging a little bit, you know. I've been up since four this morning. I need a power nap. And so I had a nap in the car before going in to see the GP to tell her about this huge issue I've been dealing with for the last 30 years. Anyway, I went in and um, I spoke to her. She went, Well, uh, I know quite a bit about this because several people in our village have transitioned. I'm like, Have they? Where? I've not seen them. And that's the thing trans people are all around us, we've been here forever. And she got me on the pathway. And I, I got in, and I hate saying this, I hate this bit, because I, I got in before the rush. There was a real shift around 2014 when I came out and Caitlin Jenner came out and Kelly Maloney, the boxing promoters came out. There was a, there was a real shift because we were in the public eye and we'd done it. And that helped a lot of people. And... Although, our old boss, Mike, who I credit with saving my life because he counseled me from Australia on Skype sessions. And I wasn't- Great,
0: like, I remember when he worked there and he used to ring me sometimes. He was yeah. good like that, he kept in touch with people. He he's okay.
1: just an amazing guy, isn't he? He's just- Yeah, he's sound. Saved my life, that man. And I wasn't gonna do mine publicly. I wasn't gonna come out publicly at all, but he did say to me, you could save a life. Not lives life. And that played, I played in my mind and it, and it reminded me of that, that 12 year old that saw Caroline Cossey on TV, that she was, she was the one that I always went back to in my mind, knowing that she did it. If she can do it, I can do it. Gosh, I'm getting emotional talking about this. But if if I have helped anyone in any way, that makes me that makes me happy. The struggles that I've gone through and the pain I've gone through and everything to get where I'm today, it's all been worth it because it's if it's helped someone else. So my GP gets me on the pathway and I'm seen within the 18 week period or whatever it is, I'm referred, I'm in the system. I'm getting psychotherapy. And one of the first things I'm like, say, look, uh, if I, and I, I think what psychotherapy did for me as well, it got to the real issues. It got to the bottom because originally I was like, can you give me a pill? Can you make this go away? But that's wrong because all that is, is sticking yeah. a plaster on it. It's not getting to the root of the problem. And the psychotherapy got to the root of the problem. And after 18 months of psychotherapy, I then started hormones, then started growing my hair. So I went from shaved-headed stubble to long hair and hair removal.
0: <laughs> it was quite the... Uh, I, I remember seeing the difference at the stage. I remember seeing the difference and it made sense with what came afterwards because you did start to grow your hair. Things looked a bit different. The look of you shifted a bit, subtly.
1: Everyone thought it was ill. I think
0: people thought something might have been up because people might have been able to tell that there was something going on at that particular point.
1: Baggy T-shirts because the boobs were growing. So finally I was getting what I wanted all of those years. (laughs) Only took 20 years later, but yeah. Um, the
0: difference between the, the, the doctor's experience is profound, isn't massively. it, there, really? So you, you've got your early 90s experience where the doctor says, don't consider this, Yeah. all the way through to the change point, really, which seems to have been around about a decade ago, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Oh, I know a lot about this. Several people in our village have transitioned. What? What were them words
0: like? You must have been like... Oh,
1: it's like I'd won the lottery. It was like, w- What? gosh. And then YouTube happened. I would come on from the show every day and I would be watching, hoping that these people who were vlogging their transitions had done an update. There was about 10 or 15 that I followed in the early days of YouTube. And I was like, oh my gosh. I just, yeah. And that kept me going there's an incredible racing driver called Charlie Martin. She's awesome. Look her up. And she vlogged her transition and she was just before me. She was like 18 months ahead of me. And I was like, she's, she's, and she was, you know, wow. If she can do it, similar age, that kind of stuff. She may be about five years younger than me or something like that, but you know, similar kind of adulthood. And, um, There was some in America. I was like, gosh. And that's what I do after the show. Just sit and watch these videos. And that gave me hope. And it showed me that I could do this. And that's what you need, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's what this conversation's about.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's showing
1: people that hope. Whatever you're going through in life. You may not even be on the LGBT spectrum. You may be in a relationship that's that you're trapped. You might be in a job that you're trapped in. It just shows you that there's hope. You can press on You can make the change. You can make the change.
0: We have it within us to do
1: that, don't we? Oh, massively. Totally. Next time on Outcast UK. Shouldn't have been there. And I hated having sex anyway. I just wanted to cuddle. Getting really open now, aren't we? Sorry, go what on. What upset you? I just, just that. that.
0: Does it really hit me that?
1: What was that? You don't
0: want to have sex. You just want to have a cuddle.
1: Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, I don't want to have sex. <laughs> you know, it was, a, it, it was a bloke with long hair they saw. Very feminine-looking, acting, trying-to-act guy with different mannerisms on the Friday. But on the Monday, hi.
0: Play Outcast UK on TikTok and Instagram. Just search Play Outcast UK.